It's September of 2000. The Summer Olympics are underway, and inside the Sydney Exhibition Center, wrestling fans are buzzing. American Rulon Gardner just took out the Russian, Alexander Korelin, in one of the biggest upsets of the games. There's only two seconds to go. That's it! Do you believe in miracles again? Roland Gardner has upset the king. But just 24 hours later, another match was taking place. One involving Russian star Buvasar Satiev and unknown American Brandon Slay. Most wrestling fans hardly noticed that the match started. After all, Satiev was the lock of the tournament. He was unbeaten in five years and was the defending Olympic gold medalist. Slay, on the other hand, was a Texan who had never won an NCAA title, let alone a world medal. But what happened during that match is the culmination of one of the biggest underdog stories in our sport. Moments in history. Let me tell you about moments in history a little bit. That's a moment in history, Slay. That's legendary coach Dan Gable. In 2000, he was the U.S. Olympic coach and was in the stands as Slay and Satiev took the mat. It's a moment in history that people don't forget. I mean, Gable Owings, you know, it's just, you don't, people don't forget those. But how Slay did it, how this kid from Texas came out of nowhere and upended one of the greatest wrestlers of all time is relatively unknown. And what happened after the match is even more misunderstood. So that's why we took on this story. To understand how Slay rose from obscurity to knock off possibly the greatest freestyle wrestler of all time. You're listening to Slaying Satiev, the story that serves as a reminder to never count out the underdog. I'm Ryan Warner. Okay, Mr. Slay, could you introduce yourself to listeners? My name is Brandon Slay. That's the Brandon Slay. We're sitting at an Airbnb in Philadelphia. When did your Olympic dreams start? My Olympic dreams started when I was eight years old, and I was with my grandmother, and we were watching the Olympics in 1984. The 1984 Olympics was a magnificent year for USA wrestling. The Russians weren't there, which means we cleaned up, winning most of the medals. Eight-year-old Brandon, sitting with his grandma on that hot night in August of 1984, watched it unfold. Dave Schultz doing a nice job of countering out, but he's got to do more than that or he's going to have these officials on him. When I was eight years old, I was with my grandmother. We were watching the 1984 Olympics on TV. And if you're a little wrestler, that was a great Olympics to watch. Because, as people know, if you're a wrestling fan, you know that the Russians did not come to that Olympics. Therefore, we won a lot of gold medals. Four to one. Joseph leading for the gold medals. We're down to five. Four. For the gold medal. Two, one. He wins them. Dave Schultz wins the fourth gold medal in a row for the United States. So just seeing all those gold medal performances were just really inspirational as an eight-year-old. And I remember I remember watching Dave Schultz gold medal ceremony. And I remember it vividly because they had like these, I think that Levi was the sponsor and they were like these blue suede warm-ups. And I thought they were so cool. And just to 
just to see them put that gold medal around his neck and just see the, the joy he had. You know, as an eight-year-old, I just remember looking at my grandmother and saying, you know, Mima said, Mima, I want to win one of those gold medals. And her response was bullseye. It was priceless. She looked at me and said, well, son, you can win one of those gold medals, but if you're going to win one of those, you better start working for that now. And I remember distinctly, she looked at me, her eyes didn't blink. I actually kind of like ran down the hall and I don't know why I didn't do it right in front of her, but like I ran down the hall and just started doing push-ups. I'd start knocking out push-ups. I mean, she told me I better start working now. So I started working for that now. And so began a journey that would span many years, many matches and many tournaments. But the obstacles that lied ahead for Brandon were numerous. First of all, he was from Texas, a non-hotbed state. I would say it was a very unpopular sport. You know, you have football in Texas, and it's the sport. And so wrestling back then, it was really, a lot of people didn't even know about it. This is Brandon Slay's childhood friend, Browner. He knows firsthand just how unpopular wrestling was amongst his classmates. It was really, I I knew of zero guys that wrestled um, in second grade. I didn't know of any. And so it was really a sport that was, it's not like the Midwest or the East Coast. It was, uh, back then, it was somewhat, um, I would say, non-existent in a sense, you know, compared to football and the basketball. Wrestling in Texas was so green at this time that high school wrestling wasn't even a sanctioned sport in the Texas leagues. But that wasn't the only problem standing in Brandon's way. The other was that he wasn't very good at wrestling. His dad, Doug, who wrestled in college, dropped Brandon off at the YMCA as a six-year-old. My dad was a big burly guy. He lifted weights a lot and went to school at the University of Alabama, and he actually played football and wrestled there, and he actually played football for Bear Bryant and played in the Sugar Bowl. And So my dad wrestled Alabama, played football at Alabama. But even with Brandon's dad being a former college athlete, it did not translate to success for young Brandon. He went 0-20 in his first year in one of the worst states in the country. And in subsequent seasons, he put together 500 records at best. But even with the limited success... Brandon kept on with the sport, and soon he and his dad Doug began venturing outside of Texas in search of stiffer competition. And that's how we learned how to wrestle in many ways, going to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And so, like you know, you interviewed all those guys. I mean, that clear is a hotbed for wrestling. Yeah. Uh, and so that's where we had to go from Amarillo, Texas. We had to go to that hotbed. I mean, that's what I think. That's really how we we got tough. <laughs> that's where we were challenged. That's where we uh, that's, where we learned how to wrestle. I-40 eastbound, right? I-40 east, right, to, uh, to Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Brandon and his family spent so much time on the road that his dad, Doug, converted his industrial van to a makeshift camper. I didn't have a bunch of, didn't have seats in it. I just bought a van with two front seats. So I just threw mattresses back there, a bunch of quilts, pillows, and the kids would ride back there. Because, you know, we didn't have, or you had to have seat belts. So we just load up a bunch of kids and take off to a tournament. And we would just get back there and he would take us to, again, no car seats, right? I mean, we're just back there and then, again, we're wrestling um, all the way to the tournament. Uh, then we'd get, like I said, we'd get to the hotel, we'd check in, then we'd get to the pool and we'd start wrestling. Then the tournament, you know, we're weighing in the next morning, then we're wrestling all day. And I think that ultimately you, you put in weekend after weekend, year after year. 
I think that's how you can kind of produce some some tough, hard-nosed, gritty wrestlers. After eight years of traveling throughout the Midwest, Brandon began to develop some skills. And as a freshman in high school, took second at the Texas State Tournament. But being second in Texas in wrestling, it's kind of like being the second best igloo salesman in the middle of the Sahara. No one cares and no one took it serious. In fact, if you ask his good friend Browner, most thought that Brandon Slay had a brighter future in football. You put four to six inches on Brandon and you'd have seen him in the NFL because he's so fast and explosive and strong and just... He had a love for the game as well, so he had a huge passion for the sport and was very competitive. But by Brandon's sophomore year, he had another problem. The 5'7", 190-pounder stopped growing. Where wrestling doesn't discriminate against size, football does, and so I think, if anything, that would have been the biggest um, thing that prevented him from going and playing at a very solid Division One program. Because a lot of people, you know, a lot of times they don't want to invest in that. If you don't meet this mold, you know, they don't want to invest in that. When there's no doubt that he was one of the best players in the state of Texas. With Brandon's future on the gridiron in doubt, he continued his pursuit on the mat and ended his high school career with three state titles and just one loss. Here's Johnny Cobb, Brandon's high school coach. It's funny because I like to do a little showbiz type stuff to promote matches and stuff and we'd turn the lights out and come running out into the music and do all that kind of stuff and everything. But in ever and we had some packed houses for our duels. And it was funny, I finally had to start asking the other coaches though a lot of times if they we could put Brandon's match last. Because a lot of times everybody wanted to come out and watch what Brandon would do. And where Brandon really, you know, wanted to wrestle all through the summer. At that time, not all those wrestlers that I had on a folk style level, you know, through high school and stuff, were would wrestle all through the summer. You know, the best ones did. That's just the way it kind of works. Every wrestler knows the adage that summer wrestling creates winter champions. And that's something Slay took to heart. Because his first big break happened during the summer. You see, during the summer... Brandon won the Cadet National Championships, which qualified him for Team USA, meaning that Brandon was headed to the Cadet World Championships in Budapest, Hungary. So we're in Budapest, Hungary. I'm outside of the United States for the very first time in my life. Um, I'm on the team with guys like Lincoln McElravey and Kerry McCoy. And, you know, we're all on these cadet teams during that period of time. Uh, I'm meeting these guys, spending time with these guys. I wrestled throughout the tournament. I lose to the guy from Turkey in the semifinals. He makes the finals. He ends up winning. But I end up wrestling back for third. And I believe I beat a guy for Germany for third. So I'm third place. I didn't know what was going to happen, but they end up put your warm-ups on. I'm like, okay, we're coming over here to the corner. I realize there's a ward stand. And then pretty soon you realize that there's going to be flags behind first, second, and third. So I get up on the ward stand. They give me my third place you know, medal. And... I listened to the Turkish national anthem, which clearly I would have much rather listened to our national anthem, but I listened to that Turkish national anthem, but I remember just kind of looking behind me and realizing that that was the first time I'd ever ever represented the red, white, and blue. And kind of having this understanding that like, wow, I'm, I'm third in the world as a 15 year old. So it's not a stretch for me 
to be first in the world about 10 years down the road. Brandon's showing at the Cadet World Championships drew the attention of college coaches from across the country. Finally, the Texan was getting his break as Big Ten Power, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Penn State all flew to Amarillo, Texas to talk to Brandon. It was just fun to see these guys coming in from all over the country and, and calling him, trying to get him for a visit and everything. And I said, yeah, <laughs> you know, this is fun for an old high school coach, you know. For sure. It, 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 was, it was amazing. That's Johnny Cobb again, Brandon's high school coach. And, and I really kind of thought he might have been leaning toward also Oklahoma University. But amidst all the recruiting excitement, Brandon received a call from an unknown wrestling school in the Ivy Leagues, the University of Pennsylvania. And so one of those college coaches, I remember vividly, was Coach Raina. And and like like so many people, when he tells me he's the coach at Penn, I clearly start thinking Nittany Lions, right? I'm I'm like, oh, wow, you know, Penn State. And he's like, no, Brandon, we are the University of Pennsylvania. It's an Ivy League school in Philadelphia. Um, it's three hours away from Penn State. So let's just get started. Uh, for the listeners, just introduce yourself. Who are we hearing from? Yeah, this is Roger Reyna. Roger Reyna was the head coach at the University of Pennsylvania and still is to this day. He was named head coach when he was only 24 years old when Penn was ready to drop wrestling altogether. Eight years later, he found himself calling on Brandon Slay to help with Penn's rebuild. And I say rebuild because Penn Wrestling, folks, was down. And I mean way down. They hadn't had an All-American in over 30 years. And they hadn't had a national champion since World War II. It was the last place a wrestler went if they wanted to become an Olympic champion. But there they were, the unlikeliest of couples. Roger Reyna sitting in his office in Philadelphia and Brandon Slay standing in his kitchen in Amarillo, Texas. So then the next question was, well, how's, how's the wrestling team doing? <laughs> and he's like, well, i got to be really candid with you. We're not where we want to be. We haven't had an All-American in over 30 years. So I think, I, think it was ni- I think it was 1966, I believe, was the last All-American for Penn. Mm-hmm. And so here's Coach Rain to tell me we haven't all, had All-American over 30 years. But he ends up following that up with, but we need somebody to be a trailblazer, a leader, a pioneer, and say that they want to become that first All-American in over 30 years. And so, again, he was really appealing to, <laughs> to my spirit of, of wanting to dream big. When Brandon started to tell college coaches that he was looking at Penn, they laughed and mocked him. In fact, they told him Penn would never have an NCAA champion, let alone an Olympic champion. But that didn't deter Roger. You see, he had an ace up his sleeve. Because Brandon's childhood hero, Dave Schultz, well, he trained just 15 minutes from the University of Pennsylvania. And on Brandon's recruiting trip to Penn, he found himself eye to eye with the man who he had watched win gold in 1984. And here's this guy that when I was eight years old, I watched win the Olympic gold medal. And now he's standing right in front of me. And I realized I have the opportunity. I can come out to Foxcatcher a couple times a week, maybe more, and train with one of my heroes. Train with one of the guys who inspired my Olympic dream. If you can't guess by now, folks, Brandon turned down the Big Ten powers and signed with Penn. 
His high school coach Johnny Cobb was mystified. And I, honestly, too, we were all probably just a bit surprised that he went to the University of Pennsylvania. You know, I, to tell you the truth, I said, well, "Okay, you know, high academics. He always made the grades. You know, but uh, Penn, I think at that time wasn't recognized like an Iowa, even a Wisconsin, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, and all really well recognized. Not saying Penn wasn't, but." In reality, you know, kind of Brandon wound up helping put UPenn on the map a little bit. In August of 1993, Brandon Slay and his dad arrived in West Philly. Penn's coach, Roger Reyna, couldn't wait to have his new recruit on campus. Well, his dad's got a pretty good sense of humor, so he thought it'd be funny on move-in day to give me a call and you know, tell me a story about how Brandon loves to ride horses. And the week before he showed up for, for a move in, you know, he was out riding the horses, but he got his leg caught between a fence and he broke it. So he's going to have to be out for the season. And, and, uh, my heart just dropped. And, uh, and then it took Doug maybe, uh, just a minute or two later just to say, Hey, he was joking. And so, uh, so we kind of had a laugh about that. And then, um, you know, Doug and, and Brandon came on campus and, um, you know, it's, Texas is, uh, you know, is a long way from Pennsylvania, and, and Amarillo is a long way from Philadelphia. I think it took a lot of courage, quite frankly, for Brandon to uh, to make to make the decision to come to the University of Pennsylvania. It was a very different environment, and uh, it took a little bit of adjusting for him. You're hearing from Clint Motter. He was Brandon's college roommate at Penn. We connected over a Zoom call this past summer. You get a you get a young man from uh, Amarillo, Texas, showing up in West Philadelphia, and there's some things that you probably just need to get accustomed to that are a little bit different. Nonetheless, I think anybody who just moves to the East Coast, but certainly the um, you know the city of Philadelphia is uh, it, it's very near and dear to my heart, uh, having grown up around Philadelphia, and, and just uh, it, it it feels like home to me. Nonetheless, it's a it's a it's it's a different it's very different than Amarillo, Texas. What was the culture shock of West Philly like for you? Kind of that whole, the whole thing. Hey, you're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. It's like, you know, Brandon, you're not in Amarillo anymore. And when I got to Philly, I just realized that people they were just always in a hurry to get stuff done. They were rushing and rushing all the time. And so when you say, you know, hey, good morning to somebody, sometimes they wouldn't even say anything to you. At first, I was like, I was like, these people are just a bunch. A lot of people, these people are mean around here. I remember telling my dad, my grandma, there's a lot of mean people around here. After the initial culture shock. Brandon moved into the wrestling house with his teammate Clint Motter. It was a it was a fraternity house. Um, it was basically the vast majority, almost everybody who lived in that house was a wrestler. I, I would say it was surprisingly clean during the season. Um, there, it, it was um, not as clean out of season. <laughs> it was a fun group of guys to live with. Everybody, you know, we we competed hard. Um, we had a tremendous amount of respect for what we were doing athletically. Um, and then when the, when, when the season was over, everybody had a good time. As fall turned to winter, wrestling season began. And Brandon, as a freshman, cracked the starting lineup. He was super strong for the weight and explosive, but had a tendency to fade late in the match. Brandon, when he was wrestling in college, quite regularly, especially early on in his college career, he would get nervous and 
you know, he's an incredibly talented individual wrestler and very, very capable of winning a whole bunch of wrestling matches as everybody now sees in retrospect. But he would get so tight that he'd walk off the mat and his, his arms, his forearms would be bulging. You couldn't even like pick up it, uh, a glass of water or a cup of water um, because he was so tight. Brandon had some matches early in his college career where he had big leads and he, you know, either struggled to maintain them or lost his lead, you know, and, and was kind of a, you know, went out and hit hard early. That was Brandon's coach, Roger Reyna. He was there as Brandon struggled to deal with the pressure and the stressors that come with Division I college wrestling. But even with those struggles, Brandon managed to qualify for the NCAA tournament as a freshman, but failed to win a match. During that offseason, Brandon and his teammate, Clint Motter, began making the 15-minute trip to Foxcatcher Farm, where Dave Schultz, Brandon's childhood mentor, was the head coach. Uh, Foxcatchers, as, as everybody knows, was just, I, I guess, probably about 15 miles outside of Philadelphia. Uh, we used to go there very regularly uh, to train with all of the, the athletes out there. Dave was a, was a fantastic individual to just spend time with. He was a lot of fun. He's a gre- gregarious personality, as everybody knows. Um, obviously, a, 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 just an absolute treasure trove of, of knowledge when it comes to the sport of wrestling that he shared willingly with all of us. On a sprawling 800-acre plot of land sat the state-of-the-art Foxcatcher wrestling room. Inside, Brandon and Dave began a friendship that would last a lifetime. The connection we had, I think it, it was it was spending a lot of time in, in the sauna before practice, just talking to him. And I would say to me, it was almost more valuable just the time I spent with him when I wasn't wrestling than it was when I was wrestling. Because I started realizing that, that I took myself too seriously. I think if you're not willing to laugh at yourself and, and realize that you know, we all have kind of a goofball side to us, and then I, I think you can just be too, um, too intense in life. <laughs> and I think that was me. I think I was becoming too intense. It's like, I'm going to Penn. I'm going to be an Ivy League student. I'm going to go to the Wharton School of Business. I want to be an All-American. I want to be an NCAA champion. Then I want to graduate. And I want to be an Olympic champion. I think there was just this, like, in, this intenseness about me that was holding me back. And I think I was putting too much expectation on myself in every practice and every competition and use that term earlier, pressure. I think that, that, that I was putting too much pressure on myself, which is, again, was causing anxiety. And I think what Dave really taught me is that, like, Brandon, you need to, like, you need to, like, take a deep breath and relax a little bit. It's sometimes it's fun to come in the restroom, room, not warm up for 30 minutes and run around in circles. Sometimes it's fun to just get a cup of tea and come sit in the sauna and, and you know, we're sweating, aren't we? Like uh, we can kind of stretch a little bit now. Let's just go out there and start sparring a little bit, and uh, let's have a fun practice, <laughs> right? Like I just had never. That's not how I did it in high school. That's not how I started kind of doing it at Penn. But Dave inserted this: learn to laugh at yourself a little bit. Don't get upset if you get taken down. Don't get upset if you get turned. You got to swallow your pride and and enjoy. The key word joy. With Dave Schultz mentorship and Roger Reina's vision. Brandon continued to jump levels at Penn. As a sophomore, he had another solid season and qualified for the NCAA tournament. And this is the thing about college wrestling. The success of your season depends solely on how you do at this tournament. I think that there's something just unique about the NCAAs and uh, the level of competition that, that, that goes on there. And I think that there are... This is Clint Motter again, Brandon's college teammate. 
you have such a there's such a finite period of time in everybody's life when they get to compete at the NCAs and you realize it and you know it and you're like okay I only have one or two or whatever it is like whatever number wherever you are in your your college athletic career to be able to go try to win that tournament or compete well at that tournament and achieve the goals that you've set forward for yourself and that I think that 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 adds that adds to the tense the intensity of it. Brandon's freshman year ended in heartbreak. But as a sophomore, he was ready to right the wrongs and become Penn's first All-American in over 30 years. Brandon entered the tournament unseated. Welcome back to Carver Hawkeye Arena in Iowa City. I just got to the NCAAs. I ended up having one of the top seeds from Michigan. I think he was the number three seed maybe. First round, it was a tough draw. I had high expectations of myself, but I had a tough draw. As Brandon stepped on the mat at the 1995 NCAAs, wearing the maroon and navy of Penn, Coach Reyna was in his corner. You know, he had a tough draw. Um, Big Ten champ, um, Chad Biggert from Michigan. Brandon lost a close match in a pigtail. And he ends up beating me. I think I lost by a point. He did beat me I'm bad, but he. But then you're thinking, okay, you're thinking again, this guy's the number three seed. He probably has a good chance to win next round to pull me back in. And then so it's like trying to get my coaches, Coach Reina, they're trying to get me excited about having the right attitude of coming back on the backside like you do as a coach. So, folks, if you aren't following, that year, if you lost your opening match, the guy who beat you had to win the next one. Otherwise, you were out. So Brandon and Coach Reina are now rooting for the Michigan wrestler to win his next match. And this guy from Michigan has um, a guy from Seton Hall. And you're thinking for sure the guy from Michigan with the top seeds, he'll beat this guy from Seton Hall. Nope. Guy from Seton Hall upsets him. I'm out of the tournament again. Um, And when that didn't happen, that hit Brandon really hard. That's Roger Reyna again. He was sitting right next to Brandon as his dreams were crushed for a second year in a row. And I think it was really devastating because, you know, he was competitive. He was proving himself. I think he's super excited about that tournament. Um, and I remember sitting in the, the parking lot um, after the NCAA tournament. We had we sat in the rental car for must have been an hour and a half or two hours, just talking about what's next and trying to put perspective, you know, in that experience. And, and he was really devastated. That was kind of that. That's where you start doing some like, hey, what am I doing? Like you start going, am, am, I, am I developing fast enough? Like I'm wrestling with these guys from Foxcatcher. I, I believe in my coach. I believe in the University of Pennsylvania. So I wasn't necessarily questioning that per se, but I was more questioning myself. Like, what are you doing? Uh, and I think that I, that's where I needed um, I needed an infusion of confidence pretty quickly. And so my one desire was like, okay, I'm not feeling very good. I wanted to go back home. I wanted to go to Amarillo. I wanted to go like wakeboard with my buddies every single day. Like I thought I needed a break. And I encouraged them to, you know, get back on the horse. You know, the then the Espoir Nationals or 20 and Under Nationals was happening in a few weeks down in North Carolina. And I said, you know, you got to get back on the horse and get down there. You know, and like you're turning the corner. It may not have, you know, shown itself at that particular tournament, that NCAA tournament. But there's no question you're turning the corner and we need to get back out there as soon as possible. He did not want to go. Coach, I'm tired, long season, I'm beat up, I need to take a break. And we, we really went back and forth on that a lot. So back then I'm like, so not only do I'm, I want a break, you're telling me actually I need to go wrestle more. But he finally acquiesced, you know, and went down. We end up loading up in a van and one of my assistant coaches, Rich Hines, um, 
who's no longer with us now, unfortunately, but he, uh, he loaded us up in a van and drove us down to North Carolina to the Espoir Nationals. And so I start in Greco, um, lo and behold, I win the whole thing. Freestyle starts the next day. I'm wrestling freestyle. I end up making the finals. I have Tim Hartung in the finals. I end up beating him. So here I go from, I'm, I'm, I'm 0-2 at the NCAA is my first two years, but I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm the national champion at Greco and the national champion in freestyle. And that again, I needed that. I think Coach Rana knew, um, he knew that I was better at freestyle and Greco in general than I was folk style. And so I think he knew I needed that that kind of picked me up. I needed that infusion of confidence. So I went and wrestled that. And I think after having that success, that was really, really, that was really important for me. And I think that got me back on track for, for my future. As Brandon Slay's sophomore year came to a close, it was clear that he had the potential. And if you could put it all together, he'd be a very dangerous wrestler. Tune into episode two to see if Brandon could secure his first NCAA title and to meet the great Russian Bovisar Satiev. From Wrestling Changed My Life, this is Slang Satiev. If you'd like to help us spread the word, please leave a review and tell your friends about this episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app you can think of. If you're listening on your smartphone, tap or swipe on the cover art of this podcast. You'll find episode show notes and offers from our sponsor, Spartan Combat. Please support our show by supporting them at SpartanCombat.com. Slang Satiev was written, edited, and produced by me, Ryan Warner. Story consulting by Raleigh Peterkin. Custom music by Gary Lanelli. Assistant producer Lake Waters. And business manager Tanner Warner. Without you folks, this episode would not be possible, so thank you. And last but not least, a huge thank you to Brandon Slay and everyone who participated in this story. Slang Sativa was produced by Wrestling Changed My Life. For all information about this series, please go to WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Peace!